millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with Paul Childers. Paul has been with us before. Uh, In fact, just a few weeks ago, his wife Susie was here with us. Paul is a part of the global eldership team at YWAM, Youth with a Mission, uh, but he likes the title Long-Term YWAMer, so we're going to go with that. How many years has it been with YWAM? I did my DTS in 1992. All right. So that's 31 years 31, this year. That's the year I yeah. got married, so I can remember that. That's 31 years ago. Paul, welcome back. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Todd. We talked with Susie when she was here, and I know you guys have just, uh, at YWAM, you've come through a bit of a transition, uh, celebrating the life of Lauren Cunningham, celebrating the legacy. Uh, Lauren was here. In fact, Lauren sat right where you're sitting. We had an interview with him, and we will give links to that in the show notes What are some of the ways that Lauren impacted you? He had an incredible impact on my life. In 2000, I met him for the very first time. And he had given a lecture in New Zealand, in South Auckland. And I was so intrigued with this man. He had an extraordinary speaking gift. He could transport you into the heart of God and empowered you and made you feel like, you know, you could change the world, regardless if if it was a pastor or the youngest teenager. They all felt like that. So I was intrigued by this Lauren Cunningham who had given a great speech. So I went up to him and I said, Lauren, uh, I have a few questions about your speech. And he looked at me, but he didn't just look at me. I felt like he looked through me and I kind of looked up to him. I felt like really I sort of, I gulped, you know, and he said, he said, Paul, what is your name? What is your last name? And I said, Childers. And he looked at me and he said, you must be John Childers' son. And he had this whole background of my family's history with him and YWAM that I had never known. Wow. And and I didn't even know that he met my dad. My dad had (laughs) never mentioned it. So it must have been in passing. And I realized this man values people. Mm -hmm. He cares for people. He remembers their name. And he recognized me because of my resemblance to my father. Like, that's really intentional. And so that was one thing. He made me feel like I could do anything with God and that he had built this mission for me. After that leadership conference, it was a three-month leadership conference, he came up to me and he said, Paul, I would be honored if you would travel with me and my speaking tours around the world. And I didn't even know what to do with that. This is Lauren Cunningham yeah. saying he would be, he honored, would be honored to, to travel with, with me. <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? I, again, I didn't know what to say. That was often the way it was with Lauren. I didn't really know how to respond to him. But about three months later, I'm at, up in Helsinki in a town called Rovaniemi, up in the Arctic Circle, and we're all crammed in this little Volvo car. And I'm sitting in the back, and he's sitting in the front, and I'm like, It's just surreal. Little Paul from New Zealand, 
little Kiwi from New Zealand sitting in the car with Lauren Cunningham, one of the greatest spokesmen for missions and, and the church, you know, in the last century. So I think that was one thing that really touched me about Lauren. He just valued people. He saw people as also being able to be empowered to do anything for God. And I would say fundamentally that faith is the thing that really transformed my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that ethos has become such a part of YWAM. Is, oh, yeah. God's calling you to do that? Okay, great. Go do it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, here, go. And, That's right. Uh, and that his, you know, as I have encountered YWAMers through the years, that is part of their ethos is, hey, God God called me to do this, so I'm I'm doing it. I'm going. Talk a little bit about how Lauren finished his race, because I think it's it's pretty amazing to hear some of the stories of right till the last breath, he was the same Lauren who was passionate about the Lord, was passionate about missions, was investing in the people around him. Talk about some of the memories from his his last days. Extraordinary. When you see a person in their last days, it really proves their life journey. And for Lauren, that was really, truly so. We were meeting with him, this global eldership team in YWAM, and on the Tuesday late afternoon, he had got the diagnosis that he had terminal lung cancer and that he had weeks to live. And you know what? The next morning, we were bright and early, back at his house, continuing with our meetings. He just rolled right on. He said, you know, a lot of things have tried to kill me over my mission career. He had been ministering for 75 years. He got his calling when he was 13. He passed at 88, and he ministered every year of his life. He said, many things have tried to kill me, but truly, this is just another one of those things. The FBI had come to him and said, the terrorists are after you. So they gave him anti-terror training. (laughs) He apparently could do all sorts of things with vehicles that I had no idea that he could do. Then he lived eight months. So he confounded all the doctors. But he lived with such passion, and he got the largest vision he felt the Lord had given him. And he imparted that to YWAM passionately for the last eight months. So he went on to live eight months. And he just confounded the doctors. Actually, Franklin Graham came to visit him just around the time that he received his diagnosis. And there was a doctor with Franklin. And the doctor turned to Dar, uh, Lauren's wife, and said, Lauren shouldn't be looking as well as he does. That's just not normal. And Dar was like, "Uh, Lauren has never been normal. And (laughs) That is not in his playbook. (laughs) Not in his playbook. (laughs) Listen, he had Zoom calls to Global YWAM. He spoke more in those last eight months than ever before. When Lauren would speak, you would get an impartation. He was speaking for at least an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. And so he's doing that three times a day with lung cancer. And he is plowing into us the importance of the Word of God and getting that into the mother tongue of every language on the earth. And he drove it home so hard that we really received it. So he kept going to the very end. And I think this is one of his greatest legacies to us. 75 years of ministry, not a scandal. He finished well. He finished not only well, he finished with purpose. The last month of his life, he was just kind of bedridden. But he would still have people come to his bedside and he would bless them. He addressed YWAM's uh, global 
leadership gathering in Thailand, he could no longer sit up in his bed even. He could only lie. And he spoke, he addressed us for 45 minutes. Wow. While lying in his While lying in his bed. bed. Wow. And he had that same sparkle in his eye. And he talked about how God had given him this picture of the stage of life that he was in and that on the horizon was eternity and it was of white light and what he described, these languages all worshiping before the throne of God. And he heard them all raising before the throne of God, but it was it looked like they came together, it sounded like they came together in just one voice, worshiping the Lord. And he spoke of it with such hope and warmth that I kind of felt like, oh, I kind of want to go with Lauren. And then I'm like, hang on a second. Uh, I've got another couple decades of ministry before I do that. But, but he, he approached the season with such hope that it imparted faith mm-hmm. into our hearts that we would go on and do great exploits for the kingdom. Well, the last couple days of his life were all so extraordinary. He wasn't speaking anymore. And they had brought a hospital bed, and they put it next to uh, their bed in their bedroom. And Dara was sleeping on their bed. He was sleeping in the hospital bed. And one night, she woke up with a start, and there was Lauren asleep, preaching at the top of his lungs to young people, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this was burning in his spirit right up to the very end. And then just a day before he passed, he spoke clearly with distinctive uh, strength and clarity. The days of my life on earth have come to an end. And within 24 hours, the Lord had taken him. So that was a little bit of the flavor of his last eight months. And so he has given us a big job. Yes. uh, To put the Bible in every mother tongue on earth is an extraordinary challenge. But the good thing is, as the Lord has given us the ability, we figured out how to do it, working with the translation groups, and, and it's happening. It's going fast in Nigeria and Nepal and in different parts of the world. Paul, one of the challenges, I think, for ministries like YWAM's going through right now is, okay, you've had this founder, amazing vision. His vision launched all of this. Now he's in heaven. Somebody has to pick up the reins and, and go forward. What is the plan for YWAM as far as taking that vision forward and continuing until your decades of ministry, my decades of ministry are are done, and it's our time to go to heaven. What's the next step for the leadership of YWAM? Lauren was intentional not to set up structures, but to impart teaching and vision. And so after a couple of days after Lauren passed, I was, of course, deeply considering his life and legacy and it just came back to me, Jesus's words about multiplication. When Jesus realized in John 12, he was going to the cross. He said, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But its death produces, and and in our language, a multiplication, right, of many new lives. And it's that Lauren was so biblical in how not only he taught, but in how he structured his ministry. I began to realize, actually, what goes on from Lauren is his vision, his values, his teaching, the way he saw the world. And that has been imparted not just to one or two leaders, but to thousands Mm -hmm. of YWAMers. I think we're going to see 
And I'm hoping that it's all going to go well, but a whole bunch of different little Lauren Cunninghams <laughs> running around the world in Nigeria and Nepal and America, all around the world, taking this vision and running it to the very end of their race. And so it's really about multiplication. Of course, we have leadership structures, but it's all to serve that initiative. Mm -hmm. It's all to serve that vision um, to really see breakthroughs uh, for the kingdom. So I think, Todd, what you're going to see is the greatest impact of YWAM is yet to come. We're Amen. just getting going. And you're going to see this, this multiplied. And, you know, we also still do have a co-founder of YWAM. So Darlene was the co-founder. So we're so blessed to have her with us and active and in ministry. And uh, she also gives her love to Voice of the Martyrs and, and all a part of this ministry. So it's great to have her mm -hmm. still with us. But again, she is going to be looking at going, how can YWAM globally move forward? And one of the things I love about Lauren's vision was uh, the concept of from everywhere to everywhere. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a bunch of Westerners going into other countries. It was people from every nation going to every nation. Uh, and I know among your leadership team, you have people from many different nations, many parts of the world. I, I think that gives you a special blessing going forward as well. Absolutely. If you look at Africa, boy, the leadership in the church from Africa is strong and it's focused. I was in the Congo recently and just seeing the faith of the people because they struggle with such adversity on a day by day basis. Boy, their faith is tested and strong and they are moving forward. OK, there's challenges in Africa, whatever. But to release that from Africa, what a privilege. And to see Africans go to every corner of the world. But the same with South Asians, Southeast Asians, Latins, North Americans, Americans, right? People from New Zealand, my country. And there is a real blessing and a strength and a protection in coming from all nations, going to all nations. Because, you know, there are times where things are going strong in a place and that can give leadership to other places that need encouragement. And then when that sort of goes off, then someone else is mm -hmm. coming. So you've always got someone to lead and a culture and a, and a Christian ethos and culture that is able to impart faith, like let's move forward for the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so that, that is a really great observation. Yeah. One of the blessings of that is many of the closed places don't want Westerners. <laughs> it's much harder for me to move to some of these places than somebody with a Chinese passport or with a Nepali passport. They have an open door. They can go in. And, and so that also, I think, gives you a leg up in terms of getting into some of the places where the gospel is still needed where and, and often where persecution goes hand in hand with the work of ministry. Yeah, um, we're already there. And yeah. in most of the places we've been for 20, 30, 40 years— and, you know, it's really hard for even national governments to close down things they don't like because it's inconvenient for them if it's owned by the locals. Mm -hmm. And anyway, you can't stop the kingdom. Amen. You can't stop the message. You can try, and different governments in the world are trying. You know what? I can tell you, Todd, it's not working. The gospel keeps going. And you know what? Destroy our structures. Destroy our organization. But, you know, the good thing is the kingdom is not an organization. Yep. It's the reign of the king on our hearts. And, and that is going, yeah. So, so we're in a pretty good position 
because YWAM's in 192 countries. Wow. Paul, let's talk about oral Bible translation. And I know this is something that was a passion of Lauren's, the passion that he has imparted on to you and to the rest of the leadership team. Do you see this as a uh, sort of a natural descendant of the Word by Heart? Because I know Word by Heart was memorizing and presenting the gospel orally, and in many cases in front of a crowd, in front of people. This to me seems like sort of Word by Heart's son or grandson. Do, do you see it that way? Yeah, and Lauren himself was intentional. It's an interesting observation. Uh, as he was speaking about oral mother tongue, he also said the Word by Heart school is, is significant to contribute towards the process mm-hmm. of oral mother tongue because when people learn God's Word by heart but actually learn the story of it, the reality of it, when Jesus healed a leper, I mean, that actually happened, Todd. Yeah. But what did it look like? Uh-huh. What was the expression on the face of the leper when he felt like his his rotting flesh on his leg was suddenly healed? Like, what did that look like when Jesus touched him? Right? And and you see the oozing uh, wound and then and then just just clean skin. And so you learn to tell a story like that. And then all of a sudden, you can share the Word of God as a story, but word for word. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the key thing for oral mother tongue translations. Uh, It's oral. So you listen to it. And if you're wooden, just trying to woodenly sort of tell content, but not actually capturing the story and the punch of it, it's hard to listen to. Right. There's so, a difference between reading a script and telling a story. That's those, right. Those are two different things. But we, we tell a story with the script. Right. Right. That's just the difference. But when you feel that story and when the translator can translate as a story, then people want to listen to it. And, and that's the thing. It's also about getting people hooked on the word. And so, so that's how Word by Heart is, is indeed contributes to and um, sort of propels the oral mother tongue translation, yeah. Let's unpack a little bit what the process is, because I, you know, when I think of Bible translation, I think of, okay, somebody's going to move there, they're going to spend 10 to 12 years learning the language, and then learn it well enough to be able to start, okay, translating. Plus, they already had to study Greek and Hebrew so that they can go back to the original text, and and this is going to be a 25-year process, that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Talk about the the OMT version of getting this quickly and orally into other languages. The key is looking at the mother tongue speakers as the professionals because they know their language very well, much better than I do from New Zealand, even if I have a PhD in linguistics. They oh. they understand it. It's their mother tongue. It's this intimate thing in their hearts. So we go to, for example, the tribal chief or the tribal king and ask him, would you like this? Oh, yeah, we would love this. And, and then they help direct it. So it's a community-based translation approach. And you get the community to double-check the translation to make sure that it's good and it's accurate and it represents the word well. And so they come in and they'll study, say, a chapter and then they translate it, but orally. So you have one person speaking English or whatever trade languages, and the other one translates it into their mother tongue. And you can do about a chapter a day. 
So uh, it's phenomenal. And then with our technology today, you can you strip out the English and then you just put all of the audio tracks mm-hmm. together from the mother tongue. And it's so good. Like, uh, you know, I was puzzling a bit because Paul Dungtumda, who is my partner and we do a lot in Nigeria, he started doing this. And I was like, let me, let me listen to that. And I listened to it and I'm like, that's a story. I'm worried by heart guy. I listen to stories all the time. Uh-huh. I'm like, that holds together as a story. I can feel it. It's not all sort of chopped. It's a good audio oral translation. And so and so they do this process, do about a chapter a day. And so they've been able to do the New Testament uh, in 30 mother tongues in six months. Wow. But the, the cool thing, Todd, is that because it's owned by the community, it's not imposed on the community. Mm-hmm. And they want it mm-hmm. and they all want to listen to it because it's their people that's translated the word of God for them. And this can be the challenge sometimes of translations. When we give them a Bible after 25 years, sometimes those Bibles just sit because the culture is is a oral culture. Right. They, they listen. They're not a literary culture. They don't like to read. And so because it's oral, that speaks to their heart. You get immediate acceptance. Because it's the people doing it for themselves. And by the way, if the chief has said yes. <laughs> Everybody's on board. Everyone's on board. <laughs> it's like magic. <laughs> yeah. And in, in these in these tribal hierarchical cultures, uh-huh. that's it. The chief says, boom. That's, yep, that that is what it is. So there's acceptance. There's engagement. People can listen to the word of God immediately. And of course, there are many things that can spin off from that. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of a process of this people group owning the Word of God yeah. and, and internalizing it deep into their culture, which is the end goal. How did, how did this come about? Uh, because it, it is a new concept. It is a new way of doing things, and it is very fast. Uh, I mean, I can see the the people who spent 25 years translating a, a Bible translation being like, whoa, wait, whoa, how, how can you say you did 30 of these in six months? That's impossible. Talk a little bit about that. So how it came about— uh, again, that gets back to Lauren and in his last eight months where he began deeply asking the Lord, what is the last and lasting challenge I'm going to give to YWAM? And it came to him on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So he's like, well, what's happening in heaven that's not happening on earth? So you see in Revelation, every tongue mm-hmm. will be in worship of, of the Lamb and in front of the throne, worshiping God and Jesus. And so he said, well, that needs to happen on the earth. And so that propelled Lauren to go, listen, it's really about the mother tongue. And I think in terms of how it relates to Bible translation, I mean, we're just one part of a, of there is this whole movement that's been going on in a very powerful and sustained way for generations and and it's powerful and amazing, and we love working with them. Actually, numbers of the groups, when they heard what we were doing, came to check us out. And they were so excited. They said, this is so good. Can we use your materials? <laughs> we would like to go in this like direction. To do this too. Great. Yeah. And it's some of, the, some of the biggest names in translation. And they're working their own processes through, of course, but this is giving a catalyst to that, but also recognizing it's not text, it's oral. Mm-hmm. It's an oral story. And so people listen to it as, you know how you listen to an audiobook. 
you're not studying every word, right? You're getting the big picture right. of what's being said. And that story then comes into your heart and sustains you. So I think it's a part of a much broader sort of category. It will be a real important catalyst for all of the work that everyone's doing. Um, we're not the whole thing, right? right? We're, we're part of a much bigger piece. But I feel like we've got a special piece. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that Lauren used his last eight months, uh, really to the very last day, to make sure that we understood. And he repeated the same thing again and again. And he was just driving it home. <laughs> it's the oral mother tongue Bible translation. Are you hearing me? Oh, yeah. This is what's important. Talk about the need for this, because uh, you mentioned in, in our chapel here at VOM this morning, 200 million people in the world speak a language that there is absolutely zero scripture translated. Not orally, not written down, zero, none, zero. That's a heartbreaking stat to me. Yeah. I mean, thinking about 200 million people who have no chance mm -hmm. of reading the Bible because it doesn't exist in their language. I mean, this is a key part of getting to that revelation, every tribe and tongue and nation. And this is something that, as you talk about 30 languages in six months, we can talk about, you know, what does that mean for 10 years from now? What does that mean for 15 years from now? We can close down that gap almost to zero, really. We, we can get it to zero and quickly. And it's because we don't have to all get PhDs. We're relying on the local people. Mm -hmm. And you know, Todd, the cool thing is they don't even have to be Christians. So I was many. wondering about that. I, I, yeah. I had that thought too. Like, are, are these people that are translating necessarily saved? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because, because they're translating it. But you know what? When they start, they go, wow. This is pretty amazing. This is so good. <laughs> and whether they be Hindu or Muslim— they just get so excited because the gospel is the power of God mm -hmm. to salvation. And when they get exposed to the story, then all of the lights turn on. This one Hindu priest in South Asia says, the government needs to pay for you to do this translation work. This wow. is so important to encapsulate our language and to be a safeguard to the language going forward. And this is such an important story. And so they recognize mm -hmm. it. And so, and again, you get immediate acceptance and people, even non-Christian people want to join us yeah. now. So well, then we say, well, if yeah, the Hindu priest first. is saying how important it is, yeah. suddenly, yeah, no, no, the, the priest said we're okay. Oh, okay. Well, tell me more. I mean, that just opens so many doors. It does. And I think, Todd, the key is, of course, all of the languages and that those 200 million people represent uh, is critical but it's also the mother tongues. And often we call those uh, dialects. But who defines what is a dialect? My wife, Susie, who you met recently, she comes from southern Germany. And people say, oh, you speak German. No, she doesn't. She, she speaks Schwäbisch, which is a dialect of Germany that North Germans cannot understand. <laughs> so is it actually a language? Now, the whole of the church, they preach in high German. And so, like my father-in-law, for example, this is a really was really close to my heart. Uh, one day we're at the table. He sees me as the missionary, the religious professional, if you will, right in the German kind of way of thinking. And he, he asked me. He said, "Is it okay for me to pray in Schwäbisch?" Because he had only ever heard uh -huh. it in High German. Wow! But there was a distance. Now yep. he accepted the Lord in his last days, but. But he could never feel like it was his because it was through a foreign language. Mm -hmm. So when the word becomes human, 
for people through the mother tongue, people can come home to God. And I think that's the point. And so for those 200 million, but for all of the other mother tongues that are out there, it's about coming home to God. And you can come home to God when you hear the word in the mother tongue, yep. in the tongue your mom spoke to you. Yep. It's that intimate and close. And I think that's critical. I think of a brother from Central Asia we had you know, who talked about coming to faith after seeing the Jesus film in his language. And he used these words. He said, Jesus spoke my language. Yeah. That turned the lights on for him. Wow. The, he's speaking my language. Such a crucial, such an important thing. Paul, I want to ask you a question, a follow-up to the last time we talked. So the last time we talked, you are getting ready to take your son on his first mission trip. Susie told us he's now at a DTS. He's like, so I, I'm interested to know how you see your father role changing as he moves out and, and you have more coming behind him, moving towards that empty nest into adult children. How do you see your role and your as a as a dad, as a discipler, as an encourager? How do you see that changing as your kids kind of launch out on their own? Yeah, great question, Todd. And it's something, of course, I've been thinking about because I'm just going through it. You know, as a parent, you never get really trained for it. You just kind of <laughs> are a parent and you've got to figure it out. Kind of winging it. You kind of do wing it. And so for Levi, I've been considering this. One of the things that has been a rock-solid foundation in our family life is our family Bible time. So we get out. I, I kick everyone out of bed, 6 a.m., rain, hail, or shine. We're out of bed at 6 in the morning, and we have Bible time to 6.45. And we simply read the Word. And even when the kids were learning to read, that was challenging because they would read one word at a time. And you're sitting there, you know, but they learned to read by reading the Bible. And then we would, so we read a chapter or two, and then we would discuss it. The good thing is the Bible talks about everything. Mm -hmm. And if you don't try and sort of make the Bible holy sort of in a way that is weird, but if you just treat the Bible content for what it is, you will talk about everything with your kids. And so we found that as such a blessing because we could talk about all of the sensitive topics that a parent needs to, but sometimes you don't know how to. Well, the Bible does it for you. The Bible brings it up. <laughs> and then the Bible brings it up. And in terms of training, I didn't need to tell my son, don't swear, don't do this and that, because he would read the Bible and the Bible would just talk. And I did have a little bit of influence when I saw certain things developing. I would say, hey, let's just read Ephesians. If it was something in language, because I knew it talked about language. And so we would just read it, the whole book. And then, you know, eventually it talks about let wholesome things come out of your mouth. And then you noted the behavior change. Mm -hmm. It was like the word. So that's kind of the foundation. And that holds us in really good stead now. Because as my son has left home, he's out on his own. Todd, he calls me, says, Dad, tell me everything that I need to know about girls. You know, teach me so that I know how to, how to be responsible because I know this is going to be a topic. So tell me all about it. And I'd sit down and we would talk. Um, the other day he was on his outreach and he would ask me a question. And he said, hang on, Dad, hold on, hold on a minute. Just pause. I'm just getting a pen so I can take notes. So I can take notes. So that, though, is a progression of our Bible times mm -hmm. every morning. So he got used to that. And now his heart is so open. And so it's just been a real natural transition. So... We want to get behind him and his calling and missions. 
He's a sportsman, so he wants to do missionary work through sports and evangelism through sports and all that, which is something that I'm not particularly good at. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure where he got that gene from, uh, but he loves sports and he wants to see how he can serve God through that way, that doorway. Uh, but also he's he's interested in other things too. So it's about, and they're all good things. Mm-hmm. And he has to hear God for himself, but then we'll be there for him. But then he asks us to teach him about what to do. So it's been a very natural process and beautiful. And I just got a text just this morning from Susie saying, boy, our relationship has gone so deep. We can talk about everything. He's asking all these questions and it's just his heart is so open. Wow. So the DTS also has enabled that because he was able to step away from home. And then he goes, oh, wow, that's what mom and dad kind of imparted to me all these years. Oh, and then his heart could even open more than it had before. And so, again, it's uh, right with the two girls. We have two girls, 15 and 12, just continuing those Bible times Mm -hmm. in the mornings. And we're actually reading Vishal Mankalwadi's book, The Book That Made Your World. And I would recommend that because it not only teaches you the Bible, it shows the difference the Bible makes. And Vishal, as a young philosophy major in India, he's Indian, he wondered about the Bible, if it was true or not. And it says, God said to Abraham, every nation on earth will be blessed through you. And so he said, really? Has, has, has the happened? Bible blessed <laughs> India? And so he researched it and he realized that every institution that supports modern India was actually established by Bible-believing Christians. And then he expanded that out to our world today. We live in a season that is extraordinary, extraordinarily blessed. Why? Because that has not been our the human story in, in centuries past. Mm-hmm. Why is it so different now? And he shares that. So we're reading that book now so that they realize, oh, it's not just because people have power over other people. That's right. why through this colonial spirit, blah, blah, that we have the, the wealth. Actually, through the whole of human history, people have been mean to one another that didn't bring the world that we see today and Vishal now shows it so I'm reading this with my daughters now and so they're saying oh it was it was it was the Lord and it was the Bible that released people into being all they could be and so on so anyway back to that we have these times with our kids so yeah that's good well I I take encouragement my my boys are out of the house so we're we're kind of in the empty nest stage but at every stage, there are ways that we can bless our kids, and there are ways that we can pour into them and encourage them. And I, I love hearing Absolutely. how you're thinking about that and how you're processing that. Paul, as we finish up, we always like to equip listeners to pray. And I want to especially ask about YWAM as you are going through this season of, of kind of transition and, and passing the torch. How can we pray for YWAM and for you, for other leaders there, um, and for Darlene as well? Please pray for us in YWAM I think the, the point is, is that we really, truly understand what our part to play in this great multiplication that I talked of before, that, that we would realize the part of Lauren's vision and values and heart and purpose that I can own, uh, that we really, really run with it. And the next generation stands up and leads forward. So that's the ultimate, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimate multiplication of the kingdom. And so pray for us that we would have that passion and purpose that Lauren had and that we would go to the very end, that we would not slack off, lose vision, lose purpose. But like Lauren, 
we would go to the very end, stay faithful and hopeful and purposeful to the very, very end. Uh, please do pray for Dar. Of course, it's hard, this transition. You not only lose a mate for, that you've been with for 60 years, but also the leader of the mission. And, and so that the Lord would show her how to, she's a founder as well, mm-hmm. how to enable uh, that, that teaching and that leadership to go forth in YWAM and also for her health and, and her strengthening. She's 83 too, so, and she wants to travel the world. So for the ability <laughs> to do that, down. she is not slowing down. She, I visited her just a couple of days ago, and she's raring to go. Good for her. So, wow. so pray for her. I, I think specifically it's really seeing Lauren's OMT vision realized quickly. So Paul Dangtumda, please pray for him and the OMT vision in Nigeria. We want to be able to do this 300 languages within about three years. If we can do that, That'll also act as an example mm-hmm. to the mission overall. What, what, what it means to actually follow up on Lauren's last challenge to us. And truly that will set us in good stead for YWAM for generations to come. Because yeah. when you put and serve people to get the Bible in their mother tongue, you have a special place in people's hearts. And so we can share the gospel. We can obviously engage in Bible translation. We can help local churches or we can help pioneer churches where none currently exist. We can help people get training for their youth. We can help teach people how to take care of their, their, their daily needs, food, water, clothing, shelter, health care, and so that everyone would be able to live the John 10, 10 life, life to abundantly, fully productive life of fulfillment in every way spiritually, socially, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so that, that sort of summarizes our calling to get to every person in the world from YWAM. Mm-hmm. And I think doing the OMT will enable us to actually have the relational connectivity to actually see that heart played out. So it's really critical that we grab this OMT vision, we realize it, and we actually do it and not just say, oh, wow, Lauren, so amazing guy. Wow, clap, 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 clap. Um, okay, what next? But it's actually seeing that moving through. Mm-hmm. So please pray that we would have courage and not say, wow, it's a big job. Yeah. But no, we can do it. And we're also so grateful for Voice of the Martyrs and their partnership through the years. Paul Childers, thank you so much for sharing with us this week. Thank you so much, Todd, for having me. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.